everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Weekend War Man. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the Weekend Warm Up Podcast, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. This will be a combo show with the preview because we have had so many podcasts of late, especially with the international break for Germany. We did not want to start releasing something basically every day, although maybe it's a tactic we should try at some point. But either way, we wanted to ease the listening burden on everyone. So we're going to roll that preview show right into the start of the weekend warm up podcast. So we'll just jump right into that because it is a good time for Bayern Munich to get back in action. I think we were all yearning a little bit for some Bundesliga play it has been a a weird international break to say the least germany uh overall i would say was pretty good all things considered a lot of difficulties logistically with traveling for that tour and game times and whatnot but i think everyone's glad to have bayern munich back and they will face off with Mainz this weekend and we will kick it off by looking at where each team is in the standings bayern munich surprisingly is in third place which if you think about it, when when we last talked Bayern in terms of the Bundesliga action, it just feels like it was so long ago, and I don't know why. It really wasn't that long, but for whatever reason, I had totally forgotten that Stuttgart had jumped up into second. But Bayern is in third through seven match days, five wins, two draws. That's good for 17 points. They uh, are behind uh, second place, VfB Stuttgart, who has 18 points, and first place, Bayer Leverkusen with 19. Things break right for Bayern Munich this weekend. They could potentially walk out in first place, but they'll have to defeat Mainz to do so. Bayern has scored 23 goals. They have allowed six. That's good for a goal differential of 17, if you like my math there. Over the last five games in the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich has three wins and two draws. That last match before the break was a 3-0 victory over SC Freiburg. As for Mainz, who has become a a tougher team to put away in the last couple of years, this has not been a banner season. In fact, it's it's downright awful. Through seven match days, Mainz has zero wins. They have two draws and five losses. That's good for two points. As I said, they're in 17th place, one point ahead of Köln, two points behind VfL Bochum, and three points behind FC Augsburg, which sits, sits... in 15th place maybe they're doing the other thing there too i don't know but slip of the tongue uh over the last five games for Mainz, they have four losses and one draw that draw was a 2-2 battle with borussia much and gladback which was also Mainz's last game before the break when it comes down to how each team is entering this byron is of course in a much better position they're deeper they're faster and they're just flat out better Bayern Munich, however, is dealing with some injuries and a lot of uncertainty with a couple of positions. Uh, Joshua Kimmich is working his way back from what looks to be a very severe illness, and we don't know exactly what it was. It was never really disclosed other than that he was really sick. And as someone who had a bit of a bug uh, earlier this week, I can tell you that whatever is going around is awful and it wasn't COVID. I got tested for that. So it wasn't that, but it is a nasty bug that is going around and it is, it is taking people out in Pennsylvania by the dozens. And I, you know, listen, I don't know if it's the same thing that Kimmich had, 
But what I can tell you, if it's even remotely close, I get why he was out of action for so long. Some other interesting situations to watch. Thomas Muller, Leon Goretzka, Leroy Sané, and Jamal Musiala all returning back from the international break. So they're getting a little bit of extra rest before they really ramp things up on Friday ahead of the game. Conrad Leimer, Kingsley Coman, Franz Kratzig, Harry Kane, Matisse Tell also coming back from international break. And they've ramped up into practicing already with the team. So that's good. Won't have to worry about any of those players, at least at this point. Uh, Nusarma's rally. He got banged up on his international break, so there's that to deal with, plus the ongoing controversy uh, that is surrounding him and some of the statements that he had made and, and Byron's reaction to those. It's obviously a very deep topic, not something necessarily easy to cover in a preview, but we don't know if there is any fallout from that or if there will be any suspension. There were some rumors of that. Uh, it, it is a really complex deal with Mizrahi and Byron right now. I can't imagine that the player is too happy with being censored by the club. You know, of course, the club feels like it is in the right because it does not want its players taking stances that could be considered controversial by some. It is it is a web of issues to to kind of weave through, but it'll be interesting to see if Mesrali is deemed available given his injury status and this other cloud that's hanging over him. So that's definitely a situation to watch leading up to the match. Rafael Guerrero is working back from an injury, so we don't know exactly his progress, but he's training individually. Same for Dio Upamakano, which seems like pretty good progress on his end. He had a torn muscle fiber. He's expected to miss as much as six weeks, but we'll see how long that lasts. He's at least back and working out. So Bayern has some things going on. Mainz, uh, when you look at their roster, they have some talent. Let's, you know, this is not a, a terrible Mainz squad by any means. But this is also not a, a great mind squad. Uh, you could look at some of the names and you can see that uh, there are some intriguing players, right? Uh, first and foremost, the one that jumps out to me is Seth Vandenberg, who is on loan from Liverpool. He is a defender who has been linked at very various points to several big name clubs, including Bayern Munich. I think he's asserted himself pretty nicely, but this is a rough situation for a young player, especially a defender to be in. He's having to deal with a lot at this point. Uh, it is uh, it is not a a fully functional and in sync mind squad. I, I will say that uh, they have some veteran talent. A lot of names you would recognize: Dominic Kaur, Marco Richter. Uh, you could name a couple of others, namely uh, the goalkeeper Robin Zentner. But this is it's a tough spot for a young player, Danny DaCosta being another one. Tough spot for a young player like Vandenberg to really assert himself because he's under constant duress. Uh, the one thing that has really been a hallmark of this mind squad is they are bitten by injuries. It has been really tough for them to stay healthy. So that has played a big role into why they have had so little success this season. And I think it's going to be a problem again when you face a just a bigger, better, deeper team like Bayern Munich. So all things are pointing to Bayern Munich at this point as having a major advantage. Uh, they will be on the road, so Mainz will at least have that going for them. But Bayern is just superior in just about every way. The one thing that you could count on for Bayern Munich, and that is some uncertainty with who will start uh, and exactly who will even be available at this point. And it is going to be, I, I expect this prediction I'm going to make on this starting 11 to be completely wrong because I, I, I just don't know right now 
who is actually going to show up for Saturday's game. So we'll we'll try it out. I think a goalkeeper, we're going to start out with Manuel Neuer because it's been rumored that he is going to come back and that he is ready to play. Maybe I'm a little naive in thinking that that's all 100% legitimate, but I believe the reports that are out there, and I think Neuer is eager to get back on the pitch. So I think we will see him at center back. I think we will see Matthijs De Ligt, who is working his way back from an injury, and Kim Min Jae. I think the Licht has had some downtime here, and I know he's been working out at Sabiner Strasse to, to get back into game shape. So I think Kim and Jay and DeLict will be the call at center back with Upa Makano out. At left back, I believe we'll see Alfonso Davies. <laughs> right back is where it could get a little complex. Uh, we don't know about Mizrawi's status, uh, either with the club or with his injury. So I think we'll see Conrad Limer there. Uh, it also, even though Franz Kratzig is a left footer, wouldn't shock me to see him get some run there as well, just because uh, he has done so well and he has really asserted himself as a first team level player. Wouldn't totally shock me if we saw Kratzig get a start at right back. But for now, I'll go with Limer since Thomas Tuchel has shown a proclivity to use Limer in that spot. At the central midfield positions, I think we'll see Leon Goretzka, who was a little bit banged up there in the Mexico game. I think when he toward the end of that match, um, I don't think it was anything serious and we haven't seen anything reported, but uh, at this stage, Bayern needs him to play. And I think that Kimmich will find a way to get himself back into game shape as well. So I think we'll see Kimmich and Goretzka having that partnership again in the midfield. The attack also very interesting. Uh, Harry Kane will lead it as the striker. We will see Leroy Sané at one of the wings and probably Kingsley Coman at the other. That means the 10 will be Jamal Musiala. And we will tackle a little bit about Musiala and what's going on with him in a little in just a bit. But uh Musiala is might be a little bit unhappy with not starting uh recently and and is uh maybe asserting some of his power in the organization, uh, given his status of what he is now and, and certainly what he could be later in his career. And he might be using that to get what he wants, which is an everyday starting role with very limited breaks. If that sounds similar, uh, think about Yashua Kimmich and how he has become an unquestioned, unquestioned every game starter for Bayern Munich. As for a prediction, listen, no matter who starts for Bayern Munich, they have more than enough talent to win this one. I think Mainz, if they are smart, are just going to hunker down and try and just park a bus and block everything. I, I don't think it's going to be a successful venture for them, but I think if they want to minimize damage, that's what they're going to have to do. I think Bayern Munich though is just too good. I think they'll break through whatever frustrating formation and structure that Mainz has. And eventually Bayern will pull out of this with a four nil victory, welcoming Manuel Neuer back with a clean sheet, assuming he starts, of course. So that's about it for the preview show. So we will take a quick break and then we'll be back to discuss some of the other big topics of the week. And uh, I think there's some interesting stuff to talk about. So hang in with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the weekend warm up podcast. Thanks for hanging in there for the preview show, of course, because the condensed week, we wanted to make sure that we hit the preview and also that. We didn't uh, become an overbearing presence in your life with dropping so many podcasts. So uh, thanks again for listening to that portion of the show. And one of the things I touched on in that preview is the status of Jamal Musiala. Now, listen, there have been a million stories this week uh, with transfer rumors linking Musiala to every big club in England plus Spain. 
I mean, you're talking Real Madrid, FC Barcelona, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City. Those were the biggest ones named, obviously. And and I wouldn't doubt that a club like Manchester United would be kicking the tires on Musiala either. But specifically, those were the clubs mentioned uh, in multiple different reports this week. And it just seems odd, right? Because Musiala is, he is a burgeoning superstar. He's having a pretty good season after what I would say was a pretty poor second half of last season. And he has, uh, I feel like, started to get some of that magic back. Now, it hasn't been consistent and hasn't always been great. But we are seeing flashes of what he showed us last fall, which is, in my mind, that was the best he has played since coming over to Bayern Munich. And definitely the best he had played at the first team level. So Musiala has just enormous potential. It's completely still untapped somehow because... You, you can look at him in the way he plays and you can envision what his game will evolve to. But what is evolving for him personally, it might be a little bit of a superstar attitude. And I don't think it's quite anything to be alarmed about yet, but very similar to the Alfonso Davies situation when you know his agent being unhappy with Brazo being sacked uh, and the uncertainty around what Davies might do, uh, you're starting to see some little aspects of that seep into what is going on with Musiala. Now Davies for his part still I mean he's a great player. There's no getting around it. Can he get better? Absolutely. Does Byron want to wrap him up? No doubt. Is it a sure thing? No way. <laughs> um and of course Davies agent is going to play this game and try and drive up the value for his client to get paid as much as possible. That's how the game works. But I do think that there's something there about Davies being unhappy with Brazo being let go. I think that Davies, in some respects, might be looking at a future and thinking he might he might want to move up the field and play a little bit of wing. Uh, I don't know if Byron will afford him that opportunity. And overall, I mean, when you look at Davies, he's a player who wants to have a global brand. He is someone very focused on that. You saw it with his relationship with Jordan Heidema and and how they had a YouTube channel and Davies being very active on social media, he is absolutely a player, much like Robert Lewandowski, who wants to build and establish a personal brand that will help him later down the road during his career when things start to slow down, if that ever happens for the Bavarian Roadrunner. With Musiala, we had not really seen anything controversial come out of him. From the time he signed with Bayern Munich, straight through now, we've pretty much seen a fresh-faced kid Young, eager, happy, seems completely joyful in every interview that he's given. But now we're starting to see some stories seep out. And immediately, whenever we see these kinds of things, there is a large segment of the population that is like, oh, that's BS. That just builds starting something up during the international break. And, and there might be something to that. It could be overblown a little bit. But the biggest thing that I took away from the stories about Musiala was that he was unhappy about being benched versus Freiburg. And he wants to be in the lineup every day. And now he wants to let it be known that it's not acceptable for him to be a bench player, even if it's a you know spot start for someone else. That's a little bit much right now for a player like Musiala. And I get it. Like, he, he, you know, he is. <laughs> yeah, I keep comparing him to other players, but it's very similar to Yashua Kimmich. If you think about it, Kimmich is a player who, as a young guy, made it known he was going to be a starter. Hell, he even picked his position, right? He moved from right back to the central midfield because that's what he wanted. And he has become such an overwhelming power in the club. It's tough for anyone to challenge him. And now that Thomas Tuchel is challenging Kimmich, 
we're starting to see a little bit of a schism. And of course, the rumors pop up that, you know, Kimmich's linked to Manchester United and Pep Guardiola. So it's a it's a pattern. We're seeing players unhappy with their situations for various reasons. Kimmich wants to play the six. Davies, who knows what's going on with him? Maybe he's still upset about Brazo. Musiala doesn't ever want to sit. So then the, the immediate effect of any disagreement or any type of angst is a slew of transfer stories. And with Musiala, who in my mind is still, I mean, he is just such a talented kid. I get his, if this is all true, I get his desire to always be in the lineup. It's pretty admirable that a young kid wants to go out. He wants to be out there for his team and he wants to, to put forth that kind of effort. But the other side of it is if he is taking that stance now, and again, if this is all true and he is really kind of pushing this power play, it does have effects on the roster. You know, I had talked a, a couple of weeks ago about how it seemed like Musiala is, is really hardcore set on playing the 10. And now it seems like that some of the thoughts that I had, which maybe to some were a lot of wild tinfoil hat type theories, that some of it might be true. I mean, and, and, and when I'm looking at this, like when I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at recent quotes that he had. I was looking at his on-field demeanor, his body language. There was one game where he was subbed out, where he kind of give, gave Thomas Tuchel the blow by. And that signified something to me that that something might not be 100% with the relationship between Musiala and Tuchel. And, and maybe that's overstating it a bit, but there's definitely some kind of friction, some kind of heat that is making Musiala maybe have this feeling that he needs to be more outspoken about his own status within the club. Now, the fallout from this, and of course, many of you out there were like, great, keep playing Musiala. He's been awesome. Why wouldn't you want to play him every day. The fallout from this comes from the other side when you have Thomas Muller being effectively Musiala's backup. At this stage of his career, Muller is definitely not a player that's going to be able to bring that A-plus effort every game. And I think we saw that over the international break. I mean, the game between Germany and Mexico was so chaotic. Like Muller, for someone who thrives on free-flowing uh, patterns of runs and finding space on the field. He could not find a way to get engaged in that game. And that was very telling to me. We've saw that several times in the past. Muller has had some great moments this season. He's had some others where he just has not been impactful right before the break against Freiburg. Like that was his opportunity to show Tuchel that he could do something and he could be the player that Harry Kane needs to facilitate to him and get Kane more opportunities since that has been another ongoing theme for the first part of the season that simply put Byron's not setting up Kane enough, but Muller did not have a great game against Freiburg was not that impactful, did not really establish himself as a valuable part of the attack. And I think that hurt Muller. And if you're like me, you've probably theorized that that the best way for Bayern Munich to operate is with Musiala and Muller playing together. And whether that's part of a 4-2-3-1 with, with Musiala kicking out to wing or some other variation of a formation that could get them both on the field, I mean, I still feel as though for a Champagne 11-type game, a game that you need to win, that's kind of the way I would go right now. I don't think Tuchel feels that way at all. I don't think Tuchel has much use for Muller. 
But I also think that Tuchel wants to rein in Musiala because Tuchel's battling. He's really butting heads with Kimmich right now. He's already shown a disdain for other players like Leon Goretzka, Matthijs De Ligt. You could even argue Conrad Leimer at times. Uh, Nusar Mizrahi, certainly. These are all players that have, one way or the other, found themselves in Tuchel's doghouse. And I believe Tuchel sees this situation with Musiala. He sees a young, impressionable player who's starting to feel himself a little bit. And, and he's going to want to try and squash that down because the last thing Tuchel needs on such a volatile roster with so many big personalities is yet another one to deal with. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy to me. And then again, we don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes, but it seems like Harry Kane is one of the more stable presences on this roster. And maybe that's because he's playing all the time, no matter what. But I mean, for a player of his ilk and his status to not be getting the type of service that, 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 I mean, I think a lot of fans would want him to get, he hasn't complained at all publicly. He has said all positive things. Uh, it's admirable the way he's handled what, some would consider a, a less than stellar situation with Tuchel and Musiala. I think that Tuchel wants to help guide Musiala to have that kind of mindset, but with a young kid, he's going to have a lot going on. He's going to have his own thoughts and his own feelings about where he should play, how much he should play. He's also going to have a lot of people in his ear. He's going to have an agent, his family, his friends. And we know that Musiala and Davies are sort of BFFs. And if they're talking a lot about their individual statuses at the club, and maybe they're commiserating on why things aren't so great. And again, that's that's all speculation. But I think it's fair to look at Musiala and say that this is a kid now who's starting to get that ego built up. And I think if we start to see more of an on-field disdain for the, you know, the errant pass that doesn't get to him or the time that that he's wide open and somebody misses him or if Tuchel yanks him from a game, if we start to see more of that, I think the more credence that these rumors are going to have now Musiala's contract runs through 2026. So it's way too early to start to panic. You've got this entire season and then all of next season before you really have to address it and make a decision on what you're going to do with him. So there is plenty of time. But of course, with that opportunity of time, there's the downside of it. What happens if things start to go sour at Bayern Munich? The team starts losing. They suffer a couple of bad injuries. What if Musiala himself gets injured? All of these could potentially change his perspective on how things look for the future at Bayern Munich. And to me, it's one. Of, it's going to be one of the more interesting, uh, really, contract negotiation processes that we'll be able to follow on the site because... Byron is going to want to extend him like now. I mean, I would think at some point they're going to make contact with Musiala and his agent and start to get negotiations going or at least talks going so that they could get another couple of years added to that deal. Because the last thing I think Byron wants is to be in a position in the summer of 2025 and Musiala, Musiala already having made his mind up that he wants to leave. Because once that happens and it starts to get public, the little bit of leverage that Bayern Munich has in terms of trying to get a massive figure for him, which he should command, they'll lose a little bit of that because at his age, it's not like Liverpool or Real Madrid or Barca need to overpay. They're more than willing to wait out a year and get Musiala for free rather than paying 200 million for him or whatever. 
So this is, it's going to be a real cat and mouse game. And Byron's going to have to be attentive to players like Musiala and Davies and Kimmich, players that they consider part of that, their foundation. They're going to have to monitor those situations closely. And if they get the inkling that these are deals that aren't going to be worked out, they are going to have to consider pulling early, the trigger on early sales because they cannot afford to get down to those waning hours of the transfer window or the final months before these players are become free agents essentially and wait. I mean, all of these players, when it, when it comes to Kimmich, Davies, and Musiala, they will command an immense amount of money. Musiala and Davies especially, just given their ages. Uh, so Byron's going to really have to, to take a proactive stance. They're going to have to get out in front of these negotiations. They're going to have to try and get deals done early. And if they get the sense that things aren't quite right or they're not going to work out, they're really going to have to consider selling high-valued assets like Musiala and Davies if they don't believe that they can get a deal done. Now, what we've seen out of Bayern Munich in the past is that they stay optimistic pretty religiously when it comes to their, their negotiations. So they're always going to feel like the, the mystique in the history of Bayern Munich is going to eventually overwhelm a player's feelings and make them take a lesser financial deal. The world's changing. The game is changing. Players are changing. And I don't know that when it comes to this generation of players, when you're talking about Kimmich and, and even the younger guys like Davies and Musiala, that they're necessarily going to have all the feels there, right? Like they're not going to, to necessarily have the same nostalgic feelings that I think a lot of us would have in a similar situation. Because simply put, pro athletes don't always think like that. They have to look at their bottom line, their bank account, because their careers are on a, a very short shelf life and they have to make the most out of them while they're there. Now, it doesn't mean that any one of those three players or all of the three players will leave. Bayern Munich, I think, has a very good opportunity with all three to keep them in-house, but they may have to make some concessions. They may have to keep them happy. And I don't know if a coach like Tuchel is going to be willing to, to really eat his pride and continue to play Kimmich as a six or, you know, not put Davies. And this, this has less to do with Tuchel than it does the club, but put Davies in the echelon of the highest paid players in the world or continue to roll Musiala out at the 10, even if he thinks Musiala needs a break. So it, it's really fascinating. And I do want everyone to pay close attention to Musiala and his, his personality, his on-field demeanor, his quotes in the press, because maybe I'm making too much out of it. Maybe I believe a little bit too much about what was reported, but I don't think it's all necessarily bad. And, and we've had this talk at BFW in, all, in our internal channel that it's sort of just the natural progression and evolution of a young player. You come in happy, willing, and eager. You start to get a little jaded by the business end of the, of, of the profession. And then you start to evolve. If you evolve into a star, you start to evolve with a bigger ego. And certainly we've seen how this could play out. You have some players that continue to thrive and get better and better and, and really achieve that superstar status. And then you see some players that never really get to that point. You also see some that flame out like Mikel Cuisance, who thought he was a global superstar, but clearly was not. Uh, he is the... <laughs> Speaking of, he is the perfect example of a player who developed a bit of an ego way too early and really didn't have any of the track record to back it up. For his part, Musiala's got a hell of a track record and his uh, ceiling is a hell of a lot higher than Mikhail Cuisson. So uh, something to keep an eye on with Musiala. 
uh, again, not time to panic, not time to uh, start burning your uh, Musiala jerseys, which in the U S is kind of a crazy fad. If a, if a kind of like a foundational player for a team leaves, we always see these social media videos of uh, people just burning jerseys and whatnot. It's kind of crazy. Like you buy a Jersey these days, if you get like a legit good one, you're talking over a hundred dollars, like, and then you're going to burn it. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but this is the kind of thing that we see in the U S I don't know if they do that in Europe. Probably not. Probably a little bit more civilized in Europe and Asia and Africa than, than how we handle things in uh, North America, or at least in the U S. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a tough deal watching it happen because I just see these videos and I'm like, what what a moron. Why would you do that? But anyway, uh, Musiala, definitely something to take a look at. One of the other topics I did want to tackle was, I know I gave some final thoughts about Germany's international breaks. I did the post-game show against Mexico, but I wanted to to take a look at a couple of things. And Julian Nagelsmann taking over and and manning the helm for Germany is, is certainly a huge step. And I thought one of the biggest concerns I had about Nagelsmann, and I didn't have many because I thought he was the natural choice. If you weren't getting Jurgen Klopp, you were going to have to get Julian Nagelsmann. And I wasn't sure the DFA was going to be able to convince Nagelsmann to make that move. They did. He accepted. But I was worried that Nagelsmann being the type of thinker that he is, being the tinkerer that he is, he would not be able to settle on anything from a roster to strategy to tactics because he just always is changing something. But in a weird way, I think the format of the national team has worked for him. Because he was able to zero in on which players he wanted. Even if it went against the grain, he made the call on players like Matt Hummels, like Thomas Muller, like Leon Goretzka, and several of the new players that came in. He made the decision, he got it over with, and then he moved right on to how these players were going to be used, what formation was going to work best, and what tactics that the team needed to employ. I mean, simply put, the lack of time to tinker and the lack of time to overthink things, I think, worked out great for Nagelsmann. And, and maybe it was just because the last few weeks and months of his tenure at Bayern Munich, he was really struggling with a lot of things from personnel decisions to strategy to, I mean, he had the whole specter of Sadio Mane and needing to put him out there and use him when he was clearly just not the, the same player that he was at Liverpool were a lot of things that Nagelsmann couldn't control that he was really trying to deal with. And he looked so weathered and strained during that period before he got sacked. He looked very much re-energized with Germany. And that, I think, is a great sign for the Day of Bay because aside of Nagelsmann tinkering his way out of the gig and, and screwing up Germany even more than they already were, it was really a little bit of a question as to how much fire that Nagelsmann still had left. How much did he really want to have to deal with the personalities and, and the decisions that would have to be made, the tough decisions and, and the inevitable conflict that occurs when you're talking about changing personnel and changing strategy? In the weirdest way, it has worked out great for Nagelsmann. He, he, not only is he not tinkering with the roster and tinkering with his strategies but it just seemed to allow him to think more freely and enjoy himself and that joy is something that definitely wasn't there toward the end of his Bayern Munich tenure it it really and I use the word weathered not only did he look physically tired he just looked mentally broken and 
And there was so much going on that he had to deal with at that time. It's almost as if that the sacking was for the better of him because now he could really recalibrate himself. He could figure out what kind of coach he needed to be. He could think about all those situations that he could have handled differently at Bayern. And then he could reprocess and get everything together and and formulate this new plan for how he was going to attack the rest of his career. And for as many people, including me, who might've had a little bit of doubt about how successful he would be, I think it's going to work out. And I don't think that he's going to take this Germany side, which is in my mind, still not good enough to the Euros and coax a semifinals performance out of them. But if he can make them competitive, if he can get them out of the group stage and he can have them have some sort of fighting spirit to maybe get a win or two past the group stage, I mean, I think that would be a massive, massive win for the DFB. And it would be something special for Nagelsmann himself. Because there are a lot of people out there who still don't think he's going to be able to get this done. And and he might not. I mean, anything can happen between now and then. And he's also going to have to be involved with several tough personnel decisions as we get closer. Not only is he going to have to start narrowing things down in the friendlies leading up to the Euro 2024, but he's going to have to make some very tough cuts on that roster including some players who he might really want to keep, but just might not have room for. The one thing that I really did like about Nagelsmann and his influence on the team, aside of the way that they fought and stayed focused, is that he was willing to do what was necessary without worrying about feelings. He took Matt's Hummels and he played him because they needed a leader on the back line. Personally, I like Antonio Rudiger and think he's a very good player. I don't always think he's the best leader think he's always involved in a conflict with somebody. And we've seen we've seen that over the years, right? He's always arguing with someone on his team. But I think he's still the type of player that should be starting for Germany. And I think that having a more calming presence, someone a little bit less volatile like Hummels on the back line with him helped in the first match. I think that using Nicholas Sula as the right back and not worrying about just using a normal right back out there just because that's the person's position think it worked out great. Now, listen, Sula didn't have his best game against Mexico, but it's almost impossible to judge anybody on that performance because of how choppy the game was. It was physical. It was borderline dirty at times. It was a, a complete mess. I mean, Germany was trying to play. Mexico was looking to just to get the quick counter out. And it, it, pro- it produced some really fun and exciting moments for both teams. But it made the game impossible to really learn much from because of the way it was played. But either way, I like that Tuchel used Sula in that situation. I like that he wasn't scared to really take a long look at Pascal Gross and see what he has there. I mean, Hansi Flick started kicking the tires on Gross. Now, Nagelsmann's starting to get his own idea about what he could do with him. And if he's good enough to take a position away from Kimmich or Gunduan or Goretzka, chances are he's not. But there are definitely some things that 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 came out of this international break that, that gave some reasons for optimism. Now, what is the other side of that? Well, I thought it was a really weird decision for Nagelsmann to take the captaincy away from Manuel Neuer and give it to Ilkay Gundogan. Now, for all the good things I said about Nagelsmann, <laughs> there was still a little bit of heat between Neuer and Nagelsmann about the goalkeeper coach situation and how that played out. I think that kind of got forgotten in, in how this was all discussed, but Nagelsmann and Neuer, I don't think are on the same page at all. 
And it's less important because Neuer is a goalkeeper. And listen, goalkeepers are kind of like kickers in American football. They kind of do their own thing. They practice separate from everyone, typically. And and they're working on a different skill set than the rest of the team. Neuer and Nagelsmann definitely were not aligned at Bayern Munich on how the things really played out with the change in goalkeeper coach there. I mean, Neuer was fully against it. Nagelsmann did it anyway. I think the two men have heat, like massive heat. And stripping Neuer of the captaincy wasn't totally shocking for me because of that heat between the two guys. But I don't think Nagelsmann handled that situation well, uh, especially for Gunduan, who in my mind really... I don't know. In this break, I don't think he asserted himself all that great. I think he was he was okay. Um, I, I'm not the biggest Gundogan fan in general, but I don't know that he would have been the person I I chose for that role. But it does tell me, at least at this point, that Nagelsmann's planning with Gundogan as a starter, and that he felt comfortable enough with that notion to take the captaincy away from Neuer. I know the excuse that was given, you know, Neuer hasn't been there. We need players that are going to be on the field. Very, very curious with the timing. Um, So I I don't anticipate that there's going to be a major conflict between Nagelsmann and Neuer about anything. I think Neuer is professional. I think Neuer also knows that there is heat and that he probably expected this uh, to happen as soon as Nagelsmann took over the reins for the German national team. So I don't anticipate anything bad happening there, but uh, it was kind of a fun subplot, if you will, to how that all broke down. Because I think a lot of people forgot, like the relations there were, were you know, not great when Tony Tapolovich got the, uh, got the boot from Bayern Munich. And that was driven by Nagelsmann. And you can, you know, we could go back and talk through that whole situation, but uh, you know, it's months old now. And, Clearly, almost everybody has moved on from it, except maybe Neuer and Nagelsmann. But if that's the biggest problem that I think Nagelsmann had, I think it, it's it's it was a pretty successful break. Didn't like how he handled it. Wouldn't have necessarily made that move if I was him. But uh, listen, if he's got a personality conflict, then you know that is what it is. Maybe Nagelsmann has a little bit more maturing to do. Maybe he hasn't quite reached. Uh, his Zen area for how th- all things could be great with Germany. But uh, there's one decision you could probably question that will about do it for this episode of the weekend warm, warm up podcast. I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, if you have a chance, check out the post game show from the Germany, Mexico match, and also go back and check out our flagship show. We had some really good stuff uh, put out. You know, I, I really like the, the job that our podcasters are doing along with our writers on the site. I think we're, doing a, a really good job at hitting the, the uh, Bayern related news along with everything that, that Germany has been doing. So keep checking us out on BavarianFootballWorks.com. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter or X, whatever we are calling it. You can get our Tweetmeister, Tom Adams at TommyAdams71. Get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Siler at CYL3R. Uh, you can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. And like I said, check us out on the site, uh, read our posts, download our podcast. We appreciate all of that support. And we love hearing your voices and your thoughts. I know not everyone's going to agree on some of the stuff that I said. So I do like to get those differing opinions because 
I'm not someone that just digs a line, dig, digs in a hole, right? I will listen and hear things out and uh, sometimes change my opinions, especially the ones that are probably a little bit uh, bat bleep crazy. So uh, it was fun talking to you guys. Uh, have a couple of beers on me this weekend. Enjoy the match and we will see you next time.